0: You need lessons on awesome, go see Matt. Hey, I'm excited for you actually to meet Matt, uh, even if it's on video a little bit. Matt is actually beginning to intern with us here at Element City Church, kind of doing community outreach, and into 2016, he's going to be kind of spearheading a lot of the outreach we're doing, um, not just here locally, but also they, uh, he and his wife, Jen, I mean, it's her birthday today. Um, so uh, they lead our awesome youth ministry. And in fact, I was there last night. We had a whole room full of teens, middle school and high schoolers who were doing gift exchanges. And like my daughter brought one of those like uh, lightsaber toothbrushes. How cool is that, right? And I was kind of hoping that I would come home and I would confiscate it, but R2-D2 socks came home. Matt's gift. So that was pretty sweet. So anyway, um, I hope you get to know Matt uh, and get to talk with him a little bit. And we're really excited to have him kind of, he's fundraising a little bit of his support to make that happen. So if you have any questions on that, let me know. But I think he's going to do great things here in 2016. They're doing a great job with our youth ministry and a great heart for missions and how we're going to carry out being the church in our city. So uh, I don't know if you grew up as we transition here about Dr. Seuss books. How many of you read Dr. Seuss books growing up. They're awesome. And I don't know if you've heard of one of the lesser known ones called Sneetches. You ever heard of that one? It's about Sneetches. They were little tall kind of somewhat slender, a little bit of a belly type thing. Um, they were yellow, and they lived on beaches, okay? And so the book kind of goes and tells a parable about the sneeches. and here's the deal. What you got to know is there's two groups of them. One is the in-crowd, the in-group of sneeches that has like a green star on their belly, and they're the cool kids, right? Then there's these other sneeches that, well, they don't have the green star. And you just look at their, he's sad, isn't he? He's just sad. And so he realizes or she realizes they're not in the in group. And so this book kind of unfolds and it goes on this story, this, this parable, so to speak, about this in crowd of those who are kind of on the inside and those who are on the outside kind of looking in. And I was thinking, haven't you had moments like that in your life? where you felt like maybe you were on the outside kind of looking in. I know I've had those moments, moments where like all your friends are getting uh, like dates to the dance and you're like, I hate dancing um, because I don't know who to ask and, and no one's asking me and all that kind of stuff. This is a personal story I've shared with my counselor. but um, so maybe you've ever felt kind of the sting of looking on the outside, kind of looking in, realizing maybe uh, you didn't get invited to sit at that lunch table in junior high. Let's just face it, junior high is rough, okay? It's tough, isn't it? And maybe you didn't get the invite to that. Maybe you didn't have the right labels on clothes or the right kinds of shoes, and so you kind of felt like you never fit in. Or maybe uh, during the kickball game when people were choosing sides and all that stuff, and you kind of got picked toward the end of it, anyone with me, just raise your big toe, Um, so we're not gonna, we're we're among friends. Um, So it's this idea of feeling on the outside kind of looking in, and tonight as we continue this colors of Christmas and look at the color gold, I want us to think about those outsiders, and those who are kind of on the outside looking in, because I think what I want us to see in the Christmas story and what God declares with great clarity is that his gospel story, the story of Christmas, is for those who are outside. Because here's the reality, we're all outsiders. Compared to God and his holiness and how he set things up, sin has kind of marked us in a way, and our own choice to rebel, and our own choice to say, hey, we're gonna do it without you, God. We're all kind of outsiders, looking in, but those who have put their faith in Jesus go on this journey where you're invited into the inn. And we've been looking at this series, remember the very first week we looked at this whole idea, the whole Christmas story, which has so much fanfare and so much festivity to it, actually comes out of great darkness, comes out of great silence. As this very first week we looked at this idea of the color green, and that the fact there was 400 years between God's last communication and connection with people and the bursting forth that night, that night we'll celebrate here in a few days, of Jesus' arrival. But yet, God wasn't silent. Maybe he wasn't speaking audibly or giving messages where people could see, but God was very active behind the scenes, setting the stage for everything to unfold as that night and that arrival came. God's timing is perfect. It's like the spring bursting forth out of the winter and things kinda come to life and things go into motion. And last week we looked at this idea um, of a blue Christmas and the reality that for Mary and Joseph, that first Christmas probably wasn't very festive. In fact, their hearts were probably pretty uh, down, pretty blue, if you will. If you think about all the struggles and all the stresses that they had to overcome, that in the blue moments of life, God's presence and his provision is still moving in your life. And for us to be reminded of that, that even when things feel south and they feel like God's not active and things are maybe not uh, progressing the way that you want, to recognize God's still active in your life. And he will, I think, loves to surprise with his presence, with his provision, and his whispers of, hey, I've got you. I'm right here with you. That's the beauty of Emmanuel, which we just sang about. It's God with us in the good times, and with us in those challenging blue kind of moments. And tonight, I want us to look at the story that comes out of Matthew chapter 2. And it's about these guys. Um, you may know them as the wise men, and you may know them by the number three, but the reality is there was probably more than three, which I know, I just blew your mind. There were three gifts mentioned, and we know that. But we don't know the number of the caravan that would have come, but here's what we do know. When you read through the stories, you realize this would have been a spectacle of people arriving into Jerusalem. This wouldn't be like three ninjas on camels coming to bring three gifts for Jesus, okay? They wouldn't be quiet, This would be a great caravan and and, and great spectacle coming into the city. It's why it caught Herod's attention. It's why Herod is sad, and it says in the text, we'll read in a second, that all of Jerusalem is sad with him, why? Because Herod's a dictator, and when he's sad and upset, bad things are gonna happen. And so the people are sad and upset. And so there's things that are rolling on with here. So if you have your Bible, if you want to uh, take your smartphone, you can go to YouVersion. It's got all the notes in there. And I want to read through this. And then we're going to unpack it a little bit and kind of see how it applies to us as we look at this color gold. And just because I have my birthday and I'm getting older, I have to take my glasses off. Here we go. Matthew, chapter two, verse one through 12 here it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, um, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. That's important, remember that. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. It's not good to have an angry, uh, unhealthy uh, Fearful, driven uh, dictator, disturbed. Uh, when he had called together all the uh, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked, where is this Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what is written in the word. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, uh, are by, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. That's referring back to an, an ancient text that's prophesying about this. Verse seven, Then Herod, Calls the Magi secretly, found, them, uh, found out the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too may go worship him. Now, if you're going, wait a minute, you should be. Um, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen rose, went ahead of them until they stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, They saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. It's interesting. These are outsiders that for some reason have been searching and something has caught their attention. Something has captured them in a way to get them to go on a journey. What's interesting is, is they go on this long quest. We, we know they're probably from uh, several hundred miles away, probably from Persia area or Babylon area, and they've traveled this. what we know about them is they're astrologers. I mean they're just they're people who are into astronomy they're, they're studying, they are looking at ancient texts and, and they're probably people who are uh, maybe early scientists if you will they're searching for truth and they're searching for the things what is life really about? And somewhere along the way in the pursuit of their tr- uh, of truth, they discover something in the stars and it piques their interest. They begin to study about it, to read about it. And for some odd reason, it brings them on this journey of faith where they're questioning, they're searching things out. They are by no means, at the start of this, followers of Yahweh. But somewhere along the way, I think in this journey, something in their faith begins to kind of a curiosity begins to rise. There's something that goes on in the search for what is happening, and they came. You know, we know in, in ancient times, we know uh, Halley's Comet was around 12 B.C. We know Jupiter and Saturn were kind of lined up three different times around 7 B.C. We know there's an explosion. of like We know this from science, and so Matthew is recording this. You have to remember the theme of Matthew, the whole gospel, is that Jesus is king. He's writing to a Jewish Audience, and he's wanting them to know that this is the Messiah, this Jesus who's been crucified, who has come back to life, he is the one we've been looking for. And so now he's writing this gospel account to let people know about that. And he's including this story of people who were outsiders, who were not part of Jerusalem, not part of God's people, who were far, far away from God, so to speak. But somehow, some way, God's activity was drawing even their hearts closer. And Matthew wants you to know that. That they're on this journey. We know that um, it was probably not just three. We know it's a spectacle as they come into town. Herod's disturbed, the whole city's disturbed. It was probably maybe an older church tradition talks about twelve of them. And, and that they there and they brought three gifts, and that's where we kind of get the three wise men. We realize they're not showing up at the manger scene, so to speak. This is actually probably maybe a year or two later. So those of you who have wise men in your shepherds, like in your manger scene set, oh. um, You don't have to kick them out, it's okay. But just know, I mean that's the reality of what's unfolding here. They show up to a house, they don't show up to a cave. Uh, they show up to a house where Jesus is at and where Mary and Joseph are at. In fact, this whole tradition kind of unfolds that they are a part of this journey. They probably spend a little time in Jerusalem getting an audience with the king and figuring this out, and, and they stop there. Then they're going on to Bethlehem. We, we know you know about 70 miles or so from there, and here's the question they're wrestling with. Where is this king? Where is this king? Who is this king? Which is a fascinating question, that I think the Bible wants us to wrestle with. Isn't that why Matthew's writing this whole gospel account? To say, Jesus is king. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's why Matthew is recording this whole entire gospel. And the question that they begin this whole quest with is where is this king? Who is this king? And how does he now define our lives? They've come to worship. There are probably people who are stuck a lot in, um, in, in maybe questing after or, or um, seeking after many deities, but somewhere in this search, I'm wondering if God's kind of stirring something up in their heart that this idea of idolatry that they've practiced. Maybe it's beginning to get zeroed in a little bit more and a little more specified onto something. And they go on this quest and they bring these gifts, these great gifts are brought because their heart wants to worship something. And that's the truth for you, that's the truth for me. In fact, it's the truth for all of humanity throughout all time. We are wired to worship, we are. You may not like your voice, Let me tell you something. Worship is more than a song. We are wired to give our attention and our affection to something or someone. We search for it. We long for it. And in this Christmas story, we begin to see them coming. And I I think this truth uh, is what stood out to me is meaningful worship should lead you to action. They came with a meaningful heart to worship And it stirred their action, not to sit on a couch, but to go on this quest, to go on this journey, to seek and to find what they were really looking for. You know, it's often been said that trusting in Jesus costs you nothing. It's faith plus nothing. It costs you nothing. But following Jesus will cost you everything. The idea of worship, the idea of aiming your life in alignment with Jesus, It's faith in him that saves us. But following Jesus is tough. It's a challenge. It's not easy. So trusting in Jesus may cost you nothing, but following Jesus may cost you everything. It's a challenge, Jesus says, many times. Pick up your cross, follow me. It's not an easy thing. This isn't a tourist thing. For a lot of times, the the church sometimes gets kind of portrayed as a cruise ship. Let's keep everyone entertained. And the reality is the church is a battleship. We're in a war. We're in a fight. We're We're on a mission here to do something that's greater than you and greater than me. Because it matters. And it's significant what we're doing. They bring these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Maybe you've heard gold is a very expensive thing. Uh, How many of you have traded in gold necklaces or so for money uh, recently? Maybe you have. Uh, Gold is still very precious, right? Very precious back then. It was very costly, very expensive. It would have helped this family a ton as we will see in this story. Frankincense, this incense. uh, So you bring gold to a king. That's what a, a king's money would be, gold. Incense, this frankincense, that would be a priestly gift. It's something the priest would use in the temple. And so Jesus is presented with gold. Jesus is king. Jesus is also priest. He's gonna be the one who intercedes on our behalf before God the Father. And he makes the way. And then myrrh, myrrh is weird. Um, Myrrh would have been a really weird thing uh, to give as a gift. In fact, it still would. I don't ever recommend that you give myrrh. Uh, Because myrrh is like an embalming fluid like it's a spice that you would give as people uh, like, like embalm the body after death. So imagine being Mary and Joseph as these this caravan of non ninja three people bring up these expensive gifts to you: gold, that's awesome. You know, incense. Well, will smell nice. That's awesome. Myrrh. What? <laughs> like now, you just that is so like. When our, uh, like our e-group, when they're having babies and stuff, we don't bring myrrh, okay? We, we just don't, it's weird. Um, but they knew something. And I think even then, Jesus' story is beginning to unfold even before it's ever really, really started. We know that these gifts given are representing something bigger of what's going on in this story. It's not just people showing up at a house This is kind of foreshadowing of some things to come, things that were going to be done, things that Jesus were going to say. The original question, where is he? Where is this one that's been born King of the Jews? Where is he? And their search for that. It's a question I think every single one of us in humanity has to wrestle. Who is this man, Jesus? Who is he? What is he really about? Jesus would ask his disciples later on in life, as he looks at Peter, he looks at his disciples and says, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Then he says, who do you say I am? Friends, that is the single greatest question of life. Because who you say he is determines everything. Who do you say I am? Jesus would ask his followers. You know, I speculate that people come to Christ. Maybe in a couple different ways. There's some people that come to Christ or they come to faith in Jesus or they get curious about Jesus, they begin to align their life to pursue it a little bit more to kind of go on their own quest, so to speak. And it happens kind of suddenly. It's things unfold in their life, whether it's a crisis, whether it's someone who just comes across their path and shares the good news, shares the story of Jesus and the God of hope who bursts into this life at Christmas and says, hey, there is a way for you to have life with God and it somehow it just strikes them. I think the shepherds are like that, right? The angels show up and they say, hey, I bring you good news. That's gonna be for all people. Tonight in the town of David, Bethlehem, this, this child is born, a savior has been given. We'll look at Christmas Eve. The savior has been given. And all of a sudden they leave everything and they go. And I think for some people coming to know Jesus is like that, it's really quick, it's really sudden. And I think for others, Their spiritual journey's a lot different. Maybe they're much more like these magi, who in a lot of times some people don't like to wait for night. They love to wait for night. They love to search the stars. They love to search the ancient writings of the Greeks and of the Hebrews, uh, of the people groups around. They love to search because they're searching for truth. And I bet they've been searching for a really long time. They're probably having this hunger of there's gotta be more to life than what I'm discovering, than what I'm knowing, than what I can hang my hat on. And something about that star is like God nudging them forward in their journey to take their next step and they decide in that moment, we're gonna go on a journey. This isn't something we're just gonna read about and not do anything. In fact, we're gonna actually let our worship and what's stirring within us lead to action. And so they go on this quest, and they go on this journey to find and discover. And I think for some people, their spiritual journey is like that. It's a long, slow process of just steady, one step after another, where God of the universe, who was working everything during those 400 years to get everything right, I think loves to do that in individual people's lives. For some people, it's quick. And Jesus shows up and it catches their attention and off they go and they start a journey of faith. And for others, it's lots of questions, lots of searching, lots of doubts, lots of struggles that they wrestle through. I think somewhere along the way, people fall into one of those two categories. And this star was like another nudge for them. See, the Bible portrays all of creation as speaking so that we might know that there is one greater than you. All of creation is proclaiming. You look through Romans chapter one, it speaks of creation speaking this language that people might know. I think we live in a culture sometimes that says, hey, don't talk about the Christmas story. It's not something we should really talk about. We should just call it happy holidays and I'm not here to get on a soapbox for that. If someone says happy holidays, just say happy holidays. We don't have to make it a fight. But I think a lot of times in our culture, we're trying to downplay the story and the reality is there is a message going out, even in all of creation, Jesus saying that look, if these people weren't crying out, the rocks would cry out. All of creation is speaking this, droids would cry out and talk about Jesus, it's awesome. For those of you watching online, there was a phone, yeah, okay. so." Ephesians chapter two talks about this beautiful imagery that God is rich in mercy and he made us alive with Christ. We were once enemies to God, now we're brought right through Jesus. And then it has these uh, words in verse 17, chapter two. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away and to the Jews who are nearby. Now all of us come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This message, that the good news of Jesus is still available, is a message that's meant to be shared. Even when people are putting up signs to say don't talk about it. One of my favorite lines from Forrest Gump is when he says, always take some food with you when you go to the zoo. There's signs there that say don't feed the animals, but it wasn't the animals that put their, those signs. They didn't put them there. And I think in our culture, We put a lot of signs that say don't talk about the Christmas story, don't talk about the hope, but yet Romans chapter one, verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ. It's the power of God at work. It's God's power at work, it's his story going out, it's his story changing lives for those who believe, first for the Jew, also for the Gentile, the near and the far, the outsider, those close by. It's interesting to me in Matthew chapter 2, that it's the outsiders who had more of a heart to search, more of a longing to find than those who had Jesus born in their own backyard. And what does that tell you about the gospel? The gospel is not just for those who are close by. It's those who are outside and who are far and disconnected. It's those who will seize an opportunity. So maybe this next week, this is your opportunity. And as you have conversations with coworkers, with friends, with neighbors to say, hey, you know, there's a greater story going on. It's, it's awesome to do gifts and it's great for all this stuff and it's fun family time and all that, but there's a greater story going on. And maybe you talking to them is not more than like trying to prove something or uh, to win an argument. Maybe it's simply an invite. Maybe it's saying, hey, why don't you just come with me to Christmas Eve? Why don't you, if you can't make it then, why don't you just start the year? I know that you've been having a rough time and I've been praying for you. Why don't you just start the year? Come into church with me. We'll go out to eat afterwards or something. Just give it a month. What if you just invested a month of your life to just give it a shot and see if there's more to this story that's going on. I love that the the Magi came to worship. Worship is not just singing a song. Worship is about prescribing and affirming worth to that which has captivated your heart and your attention and your affection. It's about proclaiming worth of who he is. It's not driven by, or I would say worship is a choice and a decision of the heart. It's not a pulse-driven feeling or a preference-absorbed sensation. That's not worship. Worship is a decision to say, I'm aiming my affection. I'm giving worth to who has my heart, to what has my heart. And all throughout this story, I think these magi have been searching for what is the right thing to worship. And I think in this moment, they discovered or maybe they took their next step to see what Matthew's trying to prove through his whole book. Jesus is the true king. He's the one that's worth your worship. So they discovered this, they go on this journey. It goes on, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. In fact, what we know from history is that Herod goes through and he kills every baby boy who is two years or younger in all of this area, this region. Because Herod, what you have to know about him, is Herod's a title given to a king, but this is Herod the Great, who is maybe in a lot of ways a schizophrenic, maybe in a lot of ways uh, just manic depressive, maybe in a lot of ways just outside his own mind, he's already killed most of his family because of fear for uh, them maybe taking his throne one day. This is not a guy to mess with. This is not a guy you negotiate with. This is a crazy guy who's got all the power. And so that gold, that's what paid for that trip I bet to get them to flee out, which fulfilled another prophecy. Later he comes back to Nazareth, which fulfilled another prophecy, because here's what you begin to see, is that prophecy after prophecy begins to come true, as the Old Testament is bearing witness to who the true king and who the true Messiah is. Here's a couple thoughts that I had. In conclusion, kind of looking at this idea of what does this mean for us to truly worship means I think you remove yourself from the throne. That was Herod's issue. He wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to be in charge. And the truth is, to worship God, you have to take yourself off the throne. You've gotta put him, you gotta put the true king on the throne of your heart in order for you to worship with your heart. And the gospel is gold. It's a golden opportunity that God makes available to those who are near and those who are far, that Jesus is worth your searching out. He is worth your pursuit. Thinking through all the questions, wrestling with all the doubt that might be there. The gospel is worth, secondly, your best gifts, your best efforts, your best of your time and your talents. Bring Jesus your gold in worship. Don't just give him leftovers because he's the true king. He's the one that's made everything possible. He's the one that gets announced. He's the one that's worth searching for and when you are found by him, he's the one that rescues you. He's the one that this whole Christmas story is about. And so it's not only a golden opportunity for us to say, hey, there is life with God available. And God made it available through the golden opportunity of Jesus, of who he sent. We'll celebrate that Christmas Eve and our service together. But it's also, I think, a reminder for us, like those wise men, to bring our best to Jesus in our time, in our resources, in our talents, to say, God, I'm not gonna just give you leftovers in life. I'm not gonna work so hard at my job that I don't have any time or energy for you, or I don't have any resources for you and for your kingdom and what you're up to in this world, that I'm going to make you a priority. And as I choose to worship, it's a decision and a choice, I'm going to bring you my best, much like those magi did. That worship will always lead to action, and that we take those steps to do that. And so wherever that may hit you and find you tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just kind of nudge your heart for your next step and what that may look like. What does that look like to to honor God and to bring your best to Him, to bring gold in that? What does that look like to say, hey, I'm not ashamed of this gospel story and and I want to share about it. I'm going to find ways to either invite people. I'm going to find ways to have a spiritual conversation. In fact, the very first series we're doing in January is... um, a uh, life on mission for a couple weeks and looking at what does it look like to evangelize? What does it look like to share God's story in your life with the people around you in normal, natural ways? How would you share the gospel on a napkin? That's one of the messages I wanna give, and I wanna help you with that, that I think God's put a passion within our church of inviting. We are about inviting people into life with God, and that means there has to be an invite. There has to be an opportunity for us to say something not just hope that it's caught, or hope that it's, you know, maybe, maybe they'll catch on. Now, I think that's the challenge, that worship is about this action, and this action step. And so would you pray with me? We're gonna move into a time of communion. If you're new here, we do communion every week, uh, almost, and offer an opportunity for that. We've got communion stations down front and here in the middle, and we'll give you an opportunity. Our worship team is gonna come back up, and we're gonna continue on in worship, for a couple of songs, but Father, we're grateful for you. We are grateful for the wise men's story here. That your gospel and the good news of Jesus is good news for people who are outsiders, which is awesome news because we were. Everybody is, outside of of your best, outside of your will. But we get welcomed in by faith in Jesus alone. And we have found becoming ones who have aligned our lives with you Sometimes it's easy for us to stand and and maybe keep others at arm's length saying that, oh, we're better than God, forgive us for that. Because the reality is, we were all outsiders. The beauty of your grace is that you are a Lord who's rich in mercy and that you made a way for those who were far away from you to be found and those of you, uh, those of us who are maybe a little closer to be found as well and to be welcomed home into relationship with you. And so as we remember that in communion, as we take that bread, remembering that that's your body given, broken for us, as we take that juice and remember that was your blood spilt, that we might be welcomed in, no longer outsiders, but welcomed in to your kingdom, to your family, that we might have life with you. Fathers, we worship you here in these next couple songs. Would you continue to stir us? Would you allow us as a church, individually and all of us corporately together, to have a greater passion, to let people know about the golden opportunity, that the good news of Jesus is still available, it's still accessible, and that you would help us to stir our worship to be a willful decision to bring our best our time and our talents, our treasures, our abilities that we'd honor you in all that we do and say that we wouldn't give you leftovers, we'd give you the best because you deserve that, you're the true king we love you, we love you